This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Subway to Shea podcast, Anthony Rivera, here with you, talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram, at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Please also take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to know how to make this show better each and every week for you Met fans out there. So by going on Apple Podcasts, writing me a review, leaving a few comments in that review section, also rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully you're giving me five stars, it will help me to better this show every day as I work on it. And I really appreciate all the comments you leave, whether it's good or bad. I need to know from you guys what you think of the show. And by doing this on Apple Podcasts, rating and reviewing the show, it helps go a long way. If you're a new listener to this podcast, thanks for joining us. And if you are already a fan, thanks for your continued support. Now, I want to start off this week's podcast with some major news on my end. And no, the Mets haven't found the president of baseball operations yet, so it's not that. I have recently joined the fan-sided network as a contributor to Rising Apple, a New York Mets site. Since the last episode of Subway to Shea, I've written two articles for the site already. One on Mike Hampton's impact on the Mets, and two on one very important thing the Mets need to do this offseason. Both can be found on risingapple.com. Also, please follow them on Twitter at rising apple blog there you can find a lot of great articles on the new york mets you should also follow the fan-sided network on twitter at fan-sided it's your one-stop shop for all fandom focused sports entertainment and lifestyle sites now we have a fun interview coming up so joining me now on the subway to shape podcast is mark healy Mark is the founder and executive editor of Gotham Baseball and the editor-in-chief of the Rockaway Wave. On April 6, 2020, his book Gotham Baseball, New York's all-time team was released and is a must-read for all New York baseball fans. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's get right into it. Last episode of Subway to Shea made a breakdown of each possible candidate for the Mets uh, president of baseball operations. Talked about Bean, Stearns, Burns, Gomes, Bendix, Heck, all of them. Some of these names can now be crossed off the list either because they didn't want the gig or they were not granted permission. The list continues to grow as to who we are not getting. Mark, what do you make of this whole saga? Because it feels like deja vu all over again from last year. Well, I think that, you know, it, it's always a mistake, I, I believe, when people conflate, you know, what happened last year to what's happening this year. You know, last year, you know, the ownership 
you know, situation did not become clear until, you know, late in the game. And a lot of the decisions that the Mets had to make, it was a brand new, you know, bringing in Sandy, I think surprised a lot of people uh, as team president. I think that, you know, there was a, you know, certainly a, a hesitance on a lot of people to, you know, embrace what was going on. People didn't understand what was going on. And I, I really think that the timing last year was poor, you know, on a number of different levels. I think this year, um, you know, and I, I, I made, um, you know, I alluded to it in a video I had posted just recently, uh, the first for Gotham Baseball's YouTube page. And, and basically, I think a lot of the names that we're hearing, you know, are really kind of after the fact slash you know media speculation names they're not really coming from well not really they're not coming from you know the Mets front office they're not you know that circle of trust is very tight and I think that has created some you know desperation uh, for people who work for clickbait overlords and so I think the only leaks if you want to call them that are coming from reporters you know reaching out to teams to see if any of their employees have been contacted or if any of the teams themselves have been contacted for permission. So, you know, I think there's a list that no one knows uh, personally. That's my information because I haven't been able to get much from the Met front office. I haven't been able to really get anything, you know, and my, I have pretty good, I have pretty good resources uh, within the organization. So I, I think that their list is very, you know, their circle of trust is very tight. I think that list is very tight and we're only he hearing things after the fact. Yeah. And I, I do think that when I mentioned the whole thing about like deja vu all over again, it's, it's basically with the names we've heard before, why would they go after these guys who have already have a, a set role in an organization? They might not get permission, but like you said, you know, a lot of it's a lot of it's media fodder, and it, it this did happen a lot during the off season last year when they were trying to get free agents, and everyone's guessing, oh, George Springer's going to come here, and then they're going to get this guy, and it didn't happen, and it was just I think last year was kind of really a big eye opener for me just watching the media trying to grasp for straws and Cohen really wasn't giving anything away at all. Well, I think part of it too is that, you know, you have to understand that a lot of reporters, even nationally known ones, there's not a lot of primary sources that are giving out information. You know, a lot of, as I said, reporters and nationally known columnists and thing like that, things like that, they rely on agents. Sometimes they rely on players Sometimes they'll rely on, on people in other organizations that may or may not know uh, if negotiations are going on and things like that. So that's why often you don't hear about anything until someone's agent is actually in negotiations on a contract. And then we'll only hear about it after the contract is signed because so much goes into signings and trades. You know, there's so much that has to happen before anything is announced. And anything is even, you know, you know, we, we've seen it a thousand times. So, you know, I think that 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 circle, you know, that, that you know, you know, media people aren't really getting the same kind of information they got two or three years ago. So that that complicates it as well. And everybody wants to be first. People are much more focused on that rather than getting it right. And I think that, you know, the trade of Carrasco and Lindor was a perfect example of that. No mm -hmm. one knew about it until it was done. Yeah. You know, uh, there's so many things that go into something like that. And even the negotiations, how many people said, oh, you can bet the farm on this guy going here or, you know, this guy is going to be here. 
Um, you know, I think a lot of it is, is you know, and look, I, I give a lot of credit to the people that do break news. Um, you know, certainly I, as someone who has done it myself, I know how difficult it is to get two or three sources to agree on something that's happening. So, you know, it, it, look, it, it's a complicated situation. And with social media, you know, the fans, you know, they want to know. I get it. You know, they want to know what's going on. They want to know who their team's going to be on opening day. So there's a thirst for that knowledge and social media only heightens it. Yeah, and I feel like the Mets are just really, it, no matter who they hire at this point, they're in a lose-lose situation because if they don't reach out to the guys that these these executives, then it, you know it's like, oh, they never even tried. And then they do reach out to them and they don't get the permission, but it's all their fault. So it's like they can't win at all. No, it's, you know, it certainly seems that way. And that is the perception. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think Scott, Scott, I don't think Steve Cohen really cares. You know, oh, about, no, absolutely. You know, I don't think he cares. I think at the end of the day, he's doing what he needs to do. Sandy's the same way. You know, Sandy's not that concerned about whether or not the media is being fed. And I think that sometimes that hurts. That approach sometimes hurts because then there's the natural reaction of media mm -hmm. to kind of turn on sources that don't feed them a little bit. But I, I really believe that if you keep feeding the alligator, one day the alligator is going to eat you. And I think that that's what we're seeing. The alligator is getting really hungry and just is kind of turning on the person that brings them their meal. So uh, I, I think that's, that's an aspect of it as well. And now one of the big questions in the room is, you know, why is this happening? And there have been so many conflicting reports from the media, from no one wanting to work with Steve Cohen to Sandy Alderson and his son who works for the Mets being the problem. I know you wrote about this in your column on Gotham Baseball. So what do you lend credence to these rumors being why the Mets are having such a hard time? Or do you think it's something totally different? And if it is something different, what do you think that is? Well, I think it's a combination of things. I said before the search even started that it was going to be difficult to convince someone who is good at their job, who has a good job, who you know is in an organization that's successful, to get them to go and clean up what is a disaster in New York. Then you're talking about New York, you know? I mean, do you, do you have family, you know, that lives outside of New York? Do you have friends that live outside of New York? Do, don't they ever ask, oh my God, how could you live in New York? You know, uh, isn't it a scary place to live? Yeah. And, and when people forget that, you know, they forget that that is a big factor in people making decisions. It's not just the job. It's not just the money. It's not the just the prestige. There's a lot of things that come into playing in New York. There's a lot of things that come into having to perform in New York, whether you're on the field or behind the scenes, because there's no such thing as behind the scenes, you know, in New York. It's, it's the number one media market in the world. And people saw what happened with Jared Porter. You know, is it possible that some people have some skeletons in their closet that they, they think will come out? I mean, that, you have to think about that too. I think that's at a smaller level than what we're talking about here. But you know, just as someone like myself, okay, in 2006, uh, I was working at Associated Press, and uh, our job basically moved to Chicago. Our office mo moved from New York to Chicago. I could have gotten a promotion. I could have gotten more money. They would have given me money to, you know, money to move and all that stuff, and it was a better job and a better gig, and I did not go because I have a wife and I have kids, and to uproot them 
just for another job, even though it's a, a little bit more money and maybe a little bit more prestige. And I look exactly what happened with Billy Bean. Billy Bean was not going to come to New York, uproot his family to work for the Mets for three years or four years or whatever it was going to be. It was never going to be a long-term thing. And Billy's not a New York kind of guy. And it's, it's the guy has turned down some really good jobs over the years. So I never thought that was likely. But when people say, well, what's the big deal? You know, you just move. It's Steve Cohn. He's got all kinds of money. It's the Mets. There's a lot of things that come into play when make people make decisions. And that's not to give anybody, uh, you know, an out or to condone anything. It just, it is what it is. And, you know, it, it's a challenging job. There's a lot of work that needs to be done and a lot of repair work that needs to be done. So it is a daunting task, regardless of how much money uh, is going to come their way. So I, I think that too many people are not taking that into account because they're much more concerned about LOLing the Mets. Unfortunate, but it's a reality. Yeah, you made a great point about bringing up uh, the whole Jared Porter situation. And, you know, to me, after all that went down and he got released, you know, we all talked about how the vetting process needed to be better. And maybe that's what they're doing right now. Maybe this whole process taking this long, maybe they're doing an extensive search and research on backgrounds on people and getting this right this time around. I don't think that's been mentioned at all throughout this whole process. Well, look, I don't think that even if they were doing the same kind of vetting that they're doing right now, which they are, which does take time and you have to deal with a lot of different levels uh, of investigation, I don't think that would have came up, to be honest with you. I don't think the Jared Porter stuff would have came up unless, you know, and, and again, I wanted to ask this question at the press conference, did Sandy Alderson talk to Theo Epstein and, you know, as, as, a, as, as a reference for Jared Porter? Uh, it would make sense, right? You know, because he mm -hmm. worked for Theo Epstein both in Boston and Chicago. Uh, but if he was hired in Arizona and no one knew about it, and if he was hired, you know, with, with Chicago, apparently, you know, according to all the stories, it never went up the ladder. You know, it stopped at a certain level and kind of was under the rug. Again, I, I don't know how Sandy was supposed to know about it until, you know, the uh, the ESPN story came out. And so, again, it was it was a uh, at the end of the day, Sandy's got to, you know, got to own that mistake and the Mets have to own that mistake. But just to look on the other side of it, I don't know how unless somebody knew, you know, unless Sandy Alderson knew about it and hired him anyway, then that's a different story. But I don't think that was the case. And I don't know if it was a vetting issue as much as it was not having that information. Uh, you know, at, at their disposal to make a decision. Uh, because I'm telling you right now, knowing Sandy, there's no way he, in, in my opinion, there is no way he would have hired anybody with that kind of baggage. This offseason, I mean, I've been watching baseball for a little over 23 years now. This offseason to me is probably the craziest I can ever remember. And, you know, they need a president of baseball operations. They need a general manager. They need a manager, coaching staff. They need basically half a roster. Have you seen anything this crazy? I mean, I know the Mets have been through a lot, but like this is a crazy offseason right now. Uh, it's pretty crazy because the Mets are going to hire people that are not inside their organization. You know, they, they are looking outside the organization. You know, in past years, the Mets would usually just either promote people or hire the person that they knew they were going to hire. You know what I mean? Because the Wilpons ran things very differently. People want to conflate, you know, the Wilpon and the, and the Cohen uh, tenures, which is ridiculous. It is different. It's different on a number of levels. But uh, it is crazy because, you know, the one thing we haven't mentioned is the, you know, the looming lockout slash work stoppage. Right. 
which, which, you know, creates another timing issue, you know? So I think that the Mets are far more prepared than people are giving them credit. I think they, they prepared themselves to be uh, denied permission. If, if let's put it this way, I don't think that they went into this off season thinking they were going to hire somebody right away. You know, I think they knew based on last year's experience that there was going to be some pushback. There was going to be some resistance to hiring uh, people from other organizations. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not that overly worried. I'm really not. Um, yesterday was rough because of the whole back and forth with Matt, Matt Arnold. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest, how many people even heard? I mean, outside of outside of real hardcore baseball folks, who's even heard of Matt Arnold? You know, who and 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 to be like you know, devastated that they didn't get them. Again, to me, when somebody signs on the dotted line, that's when I I feel like that person, again, not Jared Porter. I didn't know anything about Jared Porter really uh, before he was hired. And, you know, at the end of the day, is it a crazy off season? Is it going to be, you know, something that, you know, we look back and say, wow, that was really a disaster. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think the Mets are going to hire a president of baseball operations. I think that that president is going to hire a GM and, you know, get a manager that makes a lot of sense for New York and, and put together a coaching staff and relatively because, you know, those jobs uh, and that stuff is not going to be, you know, that, you know, filling a roster is going to be, you know, difficult during a lockout, but, you know, filling out your front office isn't going to be. Yeah. And I, I wrote an article about this on rising apple on the, you know, the one thing I would like to see done differently this off season. And that was the structure in the front office. Like you mentioned, president of baseball operations, then they hire the GM and then the manager and then the coaching staff. Now, as much as I wanted Jeremy Hefner back, thought he did a commendable job as pitching coach. I felt that it was up to the front office to make that decision when they were hired. I know there was a little uh, issue with, I guess, the timing of his contract. Are you okay with this decision, or do you feel they need to allow whoever they hire to make these decisions? Because it, you know, it felt like a Will Pond era move, to be honest. Now, and you know, initially, I, I thought it would be an issue, but you know, if you remember last year. You know, they kept Chili Davis in place because he had a contract uh, and, you know, and they made a decision on Chili Davis, whether or not you think it was the right decision or, or not. His contract status didn't stop the the interim GM from making a move in the middle of the season. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I don't think I think that it was better. Probably. I mean, initially, yes, I thought it was. I, I didn't like it. Because I I agree with you. I thought that the president of baseball operations, the general manager, and the manager should have input in that decision. But at the end of the day, if they bring in somebody uh, that saw the job that Hefner did last year, unless they have somebody specific that they want to bring in, because he's under contract, they can also just say, look, no one's going to die on the hill that I have to have this pitching coach. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I don't think that's going to be the case. Asking a a, a president of baseball operations, asking a general manager, uh, you know, to inherit a pitching coach is not nearly as divisive uh, as it would be with, let's say, a manager. And especially if there's guys on the team, as which, which I reported that I don't think anybody else did uh, was that at least three pitchers who are currently under contract had reached out to the Mets after the Louis Luis Rojas was let go and you know basically you know told told I don't know if they told Sandy directly but they definitely told somebody in the front office hey let's keep Jeremy Hefner because he you know he's really good and he and you know he's he's has helped so again I'm not going to mention the names of the pitchers but uh, I do believe that it was people that we're not talking about the last guy on the roster. Let's 
put it that way. That's an important reason to keep him, and that's why he's going to stay on. Once again, I'm here with Mark Healy, founder and executive editor of Gotham Baseball. Mark, Brian Sabian, who won three world championships with the Giants in the past decade, has said he would be interested in the job. Why not go after him? Well, nobody knows if they're not going after him, right? I don't know. What what the media is coming out with is saying that there's been no mutual interest. So, I, you know. Well, I, 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 let's put it this way. I am not going to say whether <laughs> – I'm not going to say anything right now, but uh, let's just say there is mutual interest. Well, that's good to know then. I thought maybe – we- But that's not breaking news. That's no, just, no, no. You know, like I said, there is a list of people that are being discussed that have been reached out to. Uh, those discussions maybe you know, might, might be premature at this point or they might be very pre- preliminary at this point. But you know, Sabian is definitely a guy that could be in the mix you know, for the Mets for that president of baseball operations job. I know you mentioned you think they're going to hire from, you know, outside the organization, but what about some of these in-house candidates that has been, you know, rumored around, you know, you got the Ian Levin, Tommy Tanos, what are your thoughts on them? Could they be a perfect fallback option? Well, if you hire a president of baseball operations and then you decide to promote an Ian Levin, I mean, I have zero problem with that. I mean, that's not something that I would lose my mind over. I think it would be a tough sell for the fan base if that's the, the way they decided to go. If, you know, if they decide not to hire a president of baseball operations and they decide to hire a GM and it is Ian Levin, I think Tommy would be great too. But I, I, I like the idea of Ian Levin as a general manager. You know, I do. I think that he's someone that is bright. I think he's someone that knows the organization and, you know, might have a better handle. He won't need a learning curve when he comes in. Uh, you know, oftentimes when new people come in and they have the people that are left over and then, you know, there's a lot of discussion, you know, where it's like, hey, you don't know these guys. I know these guys. That type of thing gets avoided when you uh, do an in-house uh, promotion. And, and again, this isn't, you know, how the Wilpons would do it. You know, the Wilpons would hire people that they knew that they could control, that they knew that they could dictate to. I don't think that that's the way that this front office works. I mean, in fact, I know that's not the way that this front office works. It is collaborative, uh, you know, and the only people that don't get to sit at the table are the ones who are insubordinate to the point where they can't be worked with. And, you know, and I think that, um, you know, if the Mets do make that move, it would be much more palatable if it's done with a president of baseball operations making that call, you know, rather than, you know, the Mets themselves. But again, at the end of the day, if that's the way Steve Cohen wants to go, if he gets tired of this process and he just wants to go and says, look, you know, these guys are pretty good at what they do and got the money to do whatever it is I want to do. So at the end of the day, do we care about who makes the sausage or do we care whether or not the sausage is good? Yeah, I think we won't know how well this team comes out for the next couple of years and whoever helps this team wins a championship. I think everybody will be happy about whether it's Tommy Tanos, Ian Levin, Brian Sabian, somebody else. I think that at the end of the day, they don't really matter as long as they put a great product on the team. You know, we're still waiting to hear news on Zach Scott. What did you think of the job he did last season and could he still be in play? Uh, I think it's a mixed bag. I don't think he's in play for a GM job. Um, I do think he's in play to stay in the organization. I think that there were some good things. I think there was some 
head scratching things. I uh, don't think he's great with the media. So the less we see of him in media, um, you know, Zooms and uh, press <laughs> conferences, you know, he's not very comfortable talking to the media. And I think that when your team is hitting 200 or under 200 with runners in scoring position and you die on the hill of process and kind of throw the players under the bus, it may be true, but maybe that's not the way to go when you're discussing the type of free fall that the Met offense went in after Chili Davis was fired. Now, granted, they weren't, you know, exactly the big red machine when Chili was there, but I don't blame an interim GM for making a call on a hitting coach when he's trying to become the GM. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, Because maybe he thought that what he was doing was good for the team. It didn't work out that way, but I don't think he should be, I don't think he should be fired for having a DUI. I don't think he should be fired because he made a bad call on a hitting coach. And, and frankly, I'm, I don't know enough about, uh, you know, how to assess his job and the things that he did and the things that he decided to do. So at the end of the day, you know, I think Zach, Zach Scott will will be with the organization unless, you know, unless some decision is made when they bring in a president of baseball operations. You know, that person might say, hey, you know what? I know that you guys might like Zach Scott, but I have somebody in mind who could do a better job than him. Now, before I let you go, I'm going to throw a couple of more names out there. Now, by no means am I advocating for them, but let me know your thoughts. Jeff Lewinow is out there. That's one. And a blast from the past. Omar Manaya, thoughts on those two guys? Okay, well, I don't think you're ever going to see Lunau um, in a major league front office uh, for a long time. That's number one. Now, some people, you know, look at Steve Cohen that he wants to build a Death Star, and you know, Lunau could be the emperor, and you know, <laughs> do all those crazy kinds of. I, I I really think Major League Baseball would have a big problem with Lunau. Um, and I, I don't think it would be great for the Mets to have a guy with that kind of baggage. Um, I don't think they want to do that uh, because, you know, the cheating thing is just one thing. There's a lot of other stuff that happened in that Astros organization when Lunau was was running things that, you know, you know, when you're the boss, you got to own it. You know, and, and his denials of everything has always sat, you know, look, there's no question the guy was good at his job. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you have to be worried about bringing a guy like that and all of the stuff that's going to come up in New York. You know, maybe he could get away with that if like Kansas City hired him. But I, I don't think in New York you could hide somebody like that. You know, it would have to be a high profile hire. And I don't think that's happening. Omar Manaya, um, who I personally like who has always been a gentleman with me, um, was not a good general manager, okay? Was he a good Italian evaluator? Was he able to, you know, was he able to make some uh, some valuable additions to make the, you know, the 2005 to the 2008 Mets a competitive team? No question. However, as a general manager, um, he presided over a very underachieving team. He hired a manager uh, in Willie Randolph that was almost – undermined immediately by the man that Omar Minaya hired, Tony Bernazard, as his right-hand man. And, you know, people didn't write about what a divisive guy Bernazard was until the very end, until it was almost, you know, uh, a done deal that he would be gone. But he had started his, you know, basically his remaking you know, Omar didn't deal a lot with the stuff that he didn't want to deal with. And Tony was kind of his, his bad right hand, you know, his bad cop that really, uh, if you covered the minors like I did during that time, I mean, a lot of good people were let go. A lot of good people were turned away. A lot of good people were, were undermined, including Willie Randolph, uh, by Tony Bernazard. And I think that when you hire a guy who's an assistant general manager who then 
starts doing ends around on you with the owner's son, while the owner thinks that Omar is Branch Ricky, it created a very dysfunctional process. And I don't think Omar is anywhere close to being the answer. He might be a guy that you have as a special advisor, someone who could be Italian evaluator, but I don't think Omar is in a place where he's happy with that. You know, I think Omar would like to be a general manager again someday, but I don't think that, um, I, I really don't think that Omar's the guy. In your opinion, when do you think that they'll have a president in place? I thought that maybe by the World Series would have been the perfect time, but you know, this seems like it's going to take a little while longer. When, when do you no, think that? I, I honestly don't think it's going to take that long. I think after the World Series, we will have an announcement that the Mets have hired a president of baseball operations. That's my prediction. That's the only prediction I'm going to make on your show, but <laughs> I truly believe that they will announce a president of baseball operations at the end of the World Series. Yeah, with everything going on, especially with, I guess, the collective bargaining looming in December, you know, I thought if they had the president of baseball operations right after the World Series, then your general manager by Thanksgiving, and then the manager by the winter meetings, I felt like that would have been the schedule to go with. Well, I, I think that, you know, the Mets have, the Mets have traditionally, you know, and again, you can't go by what the Mets have done in the past. I know that part of the interview is for president of baseball operations, for general manager. A lot of those discussions involve who they think would be a good manager. So those executives that are being interviewed have that as part of their presentation because they're told that that's what they want. And I, I think a lot of executives prepare themselves when they do their presentations, when they put together their mission statements, when they put together their, you know, whatever, their PowerPoints, whatever. They have two or three guys in their minds who they'd like to hire. So that, that process is already starting. There are already people, you know, kind of telling Steve and telling Sandy who they'd like their manager to be if they were hired. So I don't think it's going to take as long as people think. Well, Mark, I can't thank you enough for joining me. Let everyone know what you're working on and where they can reach you on social media. Well, the best place to get me is always on Twitter at Mark Healy, uh, excuse me, at Mark C. Healy, M-A-R-K-C-H-E-A-L-E-Y. And uh, you can always read my stuff at GothamBaseball.com. Mark, once again, thank you. And I hope to have you on the podcast again soon, especially to talk about your book. So that would be a, a fun episode if we could do that one day soon. Anytime, my friend. It was a pleasure coming on, and it's always nice to be asked. All right. You take care. Have a good one. Take care. That was Mark Healy, founder and executive editor of Gotham Baseball and the editor-in-chief of the Rockaway Wave. He's also the author of Gotham Baseball, New York's all-time team. Make sure to pick up that book and give it a read. My final thoughts. Before the train leaves the station, Jacob deGrom was named a finalist at his position for a Silver Slugger Award. Yes, you heard me right. A Silver Slugger. He was literally the best hitter on the Mets this season. Literally. Scored runs for himself. Let's look at the stats. In 33 at-bats, he had 12 hits, 6 RBIs, 4 walks, Batted 364, on-base percentage of 364, slugging 394, and an OPS of 758. This week also marks the 35th anniversary of the 1986 World Champion New York Mets. As you know, they defeated the Red Sox in an epic seven-game series. Now, I don't know if you saw on my Instagram page that I found the video of the making of Let's Go Mets Go. 
I have that VHS. If you go on Instagram, you can see that picture. And I also found this Keith Hernandez bobblehead I got a couple of years ago. That's going to go into the studio with the rest of the bobbleheads that I have of Billy Wagner and Noah Syndergaard. I got a Juan Lagares one, Mike Piazza. I have a Jacob deGrom gnome. So that is going to light up my studio here. And as we wrap up this show, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think, what you like, what you don't like. I want to know how to make this show better each and every week for you Met fans out there. So by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully you're giving me five stars, and leaving comments in the review section. It will help me help this show become better every week. And I only thank you so much for what you guys have done for me in listening to this show and the support you've given me. I can't thank you enough. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. You can listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Also, I mentioned this at the top of the show. I recently became a contributor for Rising Apple, a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can check out my first two articles for Rising Apple, as I will leave those links in the description of this show, so make sure to check them out. And make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter, at Rising Apple Blog. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in. I appreciate you all so very much. I can't Stop saying how much I appreciate you. So that will do it for this week's podcast. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets.